You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, January the 31st. A grey day here in TW11. A little later in the programme, Patrick Veach, professional punter, breeder, owner of significant note, tells me about joining forces with Tony Bloom and Ian McAlevey. Neil Channing talks about the parliamentary debate set for February the 26th, why and how you should write to your MP, and in particular, which MPs might make the difference. I've managed to track down the breeder of Lossy Mouth uh, to France, Ian Kellett, and he tells me which distance and which race she should be running over. J.A. McGrath brings his update from Hong Kong, and in a few moments' time, you'll be hearing from Barry Connell, owner-trainer of Marine Nationale, because if there's one clash that is perhaps more eagerly awaited than any other this season, it is between the two-star novices, Marine Nationale, and Willie Mullins' mighty Gaelic warrior, and they are set to clash at the Dublin Racing Festival, according to Willie Mullins, this weekend. How about that, Rishi Passad? Who's going to come out best of the pair before we uh, hear from the owner-trainer uh, of the favourite? I was so impressed with what Marine Nationale did as a first run of offences back in December. Um, obviously, the form is a long way away from what he'll be required to produce to beat Gaelic Warrior and maybe one or two others that might line up against him. But I think having seen what he did first time, seen what he did over hurdles, especially going this way, uh, Leopardstown uh, on the weekend, I just prefer Marine Nationale's professionalism. The undefeated Marine Nationale is trained and owned by Barry Connell, who has slain quite a few Mullins giants with this horse already. Can Gaelic Warrior, however take Marine Nationale out of his comfort zone. This is what Connell had to say. We, look, we, we would be reasonably confident. Um, I think our horse put in a flawless round of jumping. He, 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 he seems to have transferred his ability from hurls to fences very seamlessly. Um, and uh, he has a zest for jumping. You know, after he jumped a couple... It was, it was pretty evident um, that it, it came naturally to him. You know, he landed over one and you could see him pricking his ears and looking for the, the next jump. Um, and he's a simple horse uh, to ride. Uh, his temperament's very good. So um, if, if something goes on, we can drop in. If, if, if nothing is going on, we can, we can make it like we did the last day. Um, so uh, I think we have a, a strong degree of uh, confidence in, in our horse's ability um, and his training since uh, Christmas has gone, uh, has gone really well. Um, I think he goes there in, in at least as good a shape as he, as he, as he was at Christmas. Um, in terms of just a uh, comment on Gaelic Warrior as a... As a uh, a bystander, if you like. I mean, he, as everyone knows, he has a tendency to jump to the right a little bit, um, uh, which uh, obviously won't be helpful. Um, and Leopardstown has has two big long straights, so 
uh, it may not be as much of an issue in Leopardstown as it would be on on other tracks, such as the old course in Cheltenham, which is much more turning. Um, so, uh, looking at the looking at the betting for the Irish Oracle, um, I think we're uh, we're a strong favourite for it, despite the fact that we've only won a beginners chase. Um, and my feeling is that if he puts in a similar round of jumping, uh, and also um, I think the time of the time of our race was four seconds faster than the Grade One, the Dino Blue One. Um, so look, we we would be um, I wouldn't say confident, um, but we we would be. Um, we would be expecting the horse to go and win, um, and hopefully head on then to to um, over to Cheltenham. Um, but ironically, it looks like the race at Leopardstown could be a more competitive race than the one in Cheltenham. Barry Connell there, um, with great belief in Marine Nationale, and judged on what he's seen so far, why shouldn't he have that belief? And you look at the list of horses that he's beaten from Clasutton. Ashro Diamond, Champ Kylie, Ilet Deton, Dark Raven, Fuda Brazil, all good horses. Facile Vega, a really very good horse. And he's turned them all away at one point or another. He's right to say that this might yet be a more competitive race than the Arkle itself, because this might start sorting out Cheltenham targets for one or two of the others. And he's also right not to ignore the claims of, of Founder 50, uh, a winner at the top level in his own right. Um, Rishi, maybe just a final thought on this before we move on. I mean, if you look at the way he was ridden, he was asked to go forward um, at Leopardstown when he won on his return and his first run over fences. Um, and I thought that was probably in preparation for, a, a you know, preparing him for a, a tougher task in, in future rather than just sit him at the back, plod around. He was actually asked to do a little bit. So I'm, I'm expect. I think Connections probably knew that at some point he'd have to you know, up, up his game, which he's, he'll have to do. Uh, on Saturday and obviously um, come Cheltenham, I favour him over Gaelic Warrior because I just think he's a bit more straightforward than the equally talented Gaelic Warrior. Isn't it a beautiful clash between a real bulldozer of a horse in the way he executes things and a horse who has a rapier turn of speed? And I mm. think that's what makes it so so interesting. And it's a question of how far Gaelic Warrior can drag Marine Nationale into a place where he might not want to go, if indeed that place exists. I agree with you that it's great that we have this clash. The beauty of it for me is the fact that we're going to find out how good a little bit more about these horses rather than seeing them drop run around a, a you know a small field race against uh, inferior rivals for very short prices uh, for you know no interest in punting. Um, whereas this is actually a proper clash, and you'll get a more of a gauge as to how good Marine National is over fences, and more of a gauge as to how good Gaelic Warrior is over fences. Uh, regardless of the result, it's much more interesting for the sport. Now we've been talking about challenging the biggest superpower in the jump racing game. What about really putting it up to the biggest international global powers on the flat? Well, I wonder if that might be the result of a new tie-up between Brighton football boss and renowned owner and punter Tony Bloom and his ownership partner Ian McAlevey, who owned the Jim Crack winner Lake Forest together, and, as he now describes himself, leading racing figure, Patrick Veach. Veach himself, a formidable punter, and more recently, a very successful uh, owner 
of the De Vega horses having taken a, a big bet on the progeny of Lope de Vega. Um, they are joining forces, uh, pitting their wits. Bloom said he was delighted that Patrick had agreed to become involved as his analytical approach chimes with the way we look at the sport and he was first on our list when we decided to expand. What's in it for Veach himself and why has he chosen this latest chapter of what's been a, a pretty storied life in the sport? Uh, I spoke to him a little earlier on and this is what he had to say. I suppose it's partly a life planning thing that, uh, you know, I, I worked hard, I've done okay in my main career and I've you know, built up a, you know, a, a sort of diverse portfolio of investments. I've had fun as an owner, but now in terms of being commercial, it's much more likely to be successful as a breeder. Uh, and so that's one of sort of the strings of my go, bow going forward. I don't want to get to a stage of retirement and simply sort of, you know, thinking I've done well, but not much to do. And, and, and so having the, the, you know, the situation where there'll be, you know, potentially a lot of runners I've bred, some nice horses, it's just something that's, that, that's you know, part of a life strategy. But Tony and Ian, I, 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 they're certainly keen to expand their interest in racing. Um, they've obviously you know, s- s- uh, chatted to me, seen that I've done well I- I- in that field. And, you know, they're very keen both to be commercial breeders, but they also want to be owners as well. Um, so we've got two sides to the operation. The Hillwood Stud have got you know, already a band of elite mares for me, uh, and now we're adding to that. Tony and Ian have bought seven already, and those those horses will all be for sale. You know, as of this year, it's very much a situation that Charlie Vigers has been told they're a hundred percent for sale. Uh, you know, very much instructions to get them all sold, and there's because buyers need to have that clarity. That if they're if they're you know buying a Hillwood horse, they want to know that they're you know they're they're not being sort of handpicked elsewhere. Um, so so where Tony and Ian want to have that fun of having runners on the flat as well, um, we're, we're, we'll be sourcing some of those. I've already you know had a bit of I've already had a bit of fortune with with, with the Jim Crack winner, um, but they'll you know we'll, we'll be certainly looking for more um, you know, over the years to come, and they're 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 keen to have that as a separate slightly more fun side of of what they're doing. And then, how does that manifest itself moving forward in terms of if you if you breed some really choice yearlings and they want to have a lot of fun on the race course? How does then the operation evolve? We haven't got a set plan for the future. You know, Tony and Ian have made it clear that they they don't want a ceiling on their ambitions. They they would like to think that they think can turn into a major force. Um, initially, uh, you know, over the last year or so, um, you know, uh, the buying has been very much at their end because, you know, by the time COVID came round, my my good De Vega fillies, I I didn't get a chance to sell those because of COVID. So I've, you know, I've got all that I need at the moment. T- Tony and Ian have sort of gone from a standing start of eighteen months ago, so they're they, they've been doing a lot of buying. But but we do feel we like that clarity where, you know, we, we want to be breeding and selling very good horses uh, and them, as I say, owning from from purchase elsewhere. Um, if, uh, there may come a point when we change that plan, but for the moment, as I said, there needs to be that clarity. Uh, how do you think your your skills will complement one another? They've been keen to take you know qu- quite a lot of advice from myself, um, but they they do have skills in horse racing. I, you know, certainly, that we will meet, we will chat, um, and, um, and and put our heads together. Um, you know, it's 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 all it's all quite new, uh, and uh, you know each new sort of quarter is bringing new thoughts and new developments. So uh, yeah, as I say they they have a lot of analytical skills 
just have to see where that takes us. You're you're heading into into uh, something that you, you you would like to do on a not more recreational, but give you a new challenge. Does that mean that this is completely divorced from the realms of of punting? Not, not in any way. Is this a case of planning punts? When I say heading into retirement, I'm absolutely not. But I'm somebody who plans a long way ahead. And if we start something now, who knows, in 20, 25, 30 years' time, who knows where that might take us. Um, um, so, uh, yeah, but in terms of punting, obviously, you know, UK punting is, is, is very much a a smaller situation now i'm starting to work on hong kong because of the <clears throat> much greater liquidity there but that's very much separate from this there's a that this needs to be you know as i say the, the the business side of this is a commercial breeding venture um should people be encouraged that you want to invest so heavily in in the sport and you feel that it is possible to make a significant return from the production of bloodstock still even in this climate there still are a lot of challenges in UK racing. One of the things about quality bloodstock is that it doesn't have to be just for the UK. Um, and obviously there are stronger markets out there and, and equally we, we're seeing new countries coming into the game. So that doesn't mean we don't need to be concerned about UK racing. And if I could just make one little advert for UK racing, one, one key thing I just need to keep reiterating because other people are not saying it, that in, with all the headwinds that face us, we have one potential big following wind and that is that in the public and political worlds there is great opposition to slots and online slots and casinos which are seen as uh, you know statistically proven to be by far the most high in terms of levels of problem gambling there is definitely a risk definitely a, a positive risk should we say um, that legislation will prove harsher on those uh, and that would be, you know, uh, would actually be, give a windfall benefit to horse racing because if restrictions were placed on the most harmful times of gambling, it's likely that some of that money would trickle down to horse racing and the bookmakers would have the reverse incentive. At the moment, they're very keen to push uh, money to those uh, sort of channels and if, if the legislation means that they're more stringent limits, they'll have the incentive to push away from those. But for some reason, almost nobody in horse racing is calling for this. We have actually the chance that this jackpot might arrive um, because of political and public pressure, even though racing's not asking for it. But for some reason, and people should perhaps look into the reasons why, this is something that no one in racing seems to be asking for. So in a, in a world of, as I say, a slight digression here, but in a world where race, UK racing faces great challenges, I urge people to think more along those lines because that could be almost a game changer in what otherwise is a very concerning picture. And I would stress that although, although you know, myself, Tony and Ian are very keen to take this further, there is that international thought that at least if, you know, if UK racing does, you know, uh, suffer greatly over the years to come, we, we still have those options. So people shouldn't take too much comfort from that. Lots to take out of that with Patrick Veach. But to the central point, first of all, Rishi, this is quite a, an interesting meeting of minds isn't it mm -hmm. uh, the thing i like about it nick is that you look at what um tony bloom and ian mcalevy have done in regards to brighton and their progress from a league one team obviously premier league and being involved in europe etc it's been absolutely magnificent and i believe you know i don't know as much about it as perhaps quite a few others but um the statistics analysis the detail of data um, Tony Bloom's got that firm Star Lizard, uh, which has helped drive a team like Brighton forward, can be transferred to 
horse racing, add in a mind as sharp as Patrick Veach into the equation, and it's quite a heady concoction. The question I have is, if it if they, it, as almost seems inevitable, they enjoy a fair measure of success and they want to start building and it becomes more of an empire, the extent to which their interests can remain in any way separate or whether they have to be completely collegiate and breed mm. and own all of it, even though Patrick at the moment says, I'm done with ownership, breeding's where the commercial potential is. Everybody knows that owning horses is a massive struggle, uh, particularly in the UK. Um, prize money, etc. You know, we're singing a very old, familiar tune here. But the latter comment about commercial interests is where the real finance is. You know that as well as I do. Nick, you go to the sales as much as I do. You read as much about how well people do in the breeding industry. Um, the the money that still gets banded around in the breeding industry, and of course, I know it has been affected in recent years. It's still significant, and that's where the the biggest impact can come. And I think because of the size of where they want to operate at being in partnership i think is an easier acceptance than were it involved just in, in ownership where the demands and the returns are the financial demands and returns are poles apart and on a somewhat related point it is worth noting today that the two colts who finished closest to henry longfellow last season have both been sold to continue their racing careers in hong kong mark boylan reports this in the irish fields today um, national stakes runner-up Islands in the Stream has gone, and so has Mythology, to Tony Cruz and Pierre Ng, respectively. Now, these are very high-class horses to be leaving these shores, so unexposed, so lightly raced, and so promising. And I would put it to you, Rishi, mm -hmm. that you could quintuple prize money in Ireland, because these horses are Ireland, not Britain, and mm -hmm. indeed Britain, where the prize money is overall less good than it is in Ireland, and you wouldn't stop these horses leaving if they're going to be made the the offers the like the like of which they're they're going to have had. It's it's hard to turn down, uh, you know, the, the sort of sums that Hong Kong offer or Australia offer for good horses. Um, and in order to keep the the pot boiling, basically, in order to keep your interest in racing, it does make sense on occasions to sell um and obviously with those two horses islands in the stream and and mythology um they they would have attracted large figures for their for their connections and that that will keep them interested in the sport it's part of the it's part of the fabric of the sport that um in order to maintain a certain interest in the sport sometimes you have to do it's necessary to do that and that is as you say irrespective of the prize money that they can win here these are pretty good horses but when you see mezzanine level horses making four, five, six hundred thousand at public auction to go to Australia, yeah, yeah. then you, you, there's no chance of keeping those horses here. I don't care how much price you cannot keep them if that's the kind of money people are prepared to to spend for horses who, of just okay ability. And it's yeah. a, you know, it's all very well to say, well, our racing should aspire to be run on the model of Australia or Hong Kong. Yes, sure, but. You know, let's let's keep things in the in the realms of reality. What you just yeah. heard from Patrick Veach there is he explored the idea of sales abroad. Is that mm. if you get enough people here recognizing that the markets are there and that they need to be the producers for those markets because otherwise the horses are run out, then at least that is a thing. At least you've got people recognizing that there is a need for more producers to keep the consumers satisfied. Yes, exactly that. Supply and demand.
and at the moment there are <clears throat> a number of horses and regardless of how poor the prize money is in britain and relatively in ireland there are a number of horses that are in demand in these regions in these jurisdictions that are in demand for other countries and other jurisdictions and if that's the case <clears throat> offers are, are going to continue to come in regardless of the prize money if you, you've owned horses nick if you owned a horse that was i don't know rated 110 or whatever and you had the option that's, that's more your preserve rishi i could never uh, I, i'm never gonna have a horse rated 110 uh, lightning won't strike twice um and if you have a horse rated that sort of figure and you you think about the year to come and you might run in maybe let's say a few graded group races um and there's the potential to win i don't know you know a few hundred thousand pounds which is significant for anybody but then somebody comes along and says okay i'll take i'll take the the opportunity to make you an offer of a seven-figure offer for that horse now it makes sense to some people commercially and it makes it doesn't make sense to other people and they'd be happy so it really comes down to the subjective financial dealings of the individual and the majority of people do like the opportunity to cash in their uh their assets and those those horses are significant assets and when the opportunity comes along people take them well i want now to revisit Patrick Veach, his final point there, which I thought was an interesting one, and it does crop up from time to time, about the way that racing might more effectively present itself as a gambling medium, as very clearly distinct from online slots and casinos, in a bid to try and distinguish between the two in, in terms of the court of public opinion, and whether that as a, as a concept it can work when you're when you're lobbying government and indeed whether the, the sport has been deficient in that respect in its efforts over the last couple of years. And something I thought I might revisit in the company of our friend Neil Channing, professional gambler himself uh, and political analyst. Um, Neil, what's your view on, on Patrick's point? It's one that we've heard. Would it work more effectively if we pushed it more effectively? Uh, I don't totally dislike the view. I mean, obviously, you know studying a horse race of 30 runner handicap if we ever allowed to have any of those anymore um is more cerebral than just pressing a button on a slot machine uh and it has uh you know it's possible to win so the, the you know that that's it's obviously a different product uh, i think it's a bit snooty to sort of position yourself for saying well it's 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 somehow kind of morally better to be to be playing we know that you know most people whether they're playing on slots or whether they're playing on uh, the stewards cup are, are going to lose their money you know this is the the, the the horse racing is is totally reliant on the, the mathematics that uh, most people that play are losing and um that funds the sport so i i i don't think you can really work with a politician generally people within racing and betting are sympathetic to that view but i think when you breach that with politicians I, I, I don't i just don't think that's a great argument uh, i also don't I, I just think you know you can't kind of reinvent the wheel on this the companies that we're talking about are multinational conglomerates that have built themselves on being gambling one-stop shops the reason that bet 365 are so successful is because you know, a large pr proportion of their player base just does all their gambling there. They 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 have a they they cross sell uh, and they have a dabble in different things. Loads of people that play on horse racing also enjoy playing casino and slots. Um, we might not really like that idea, and we might you know I'd, I'd I'd never play on those things online, but I you know I accept that lots of people do enjoy that. 
All right, Neil, and to why I really called you today, which is to um, set us up for the parliamentary debate that's going to take place on the 26th of February. This is as a result of 100,000 signatures on the petition against affordability checks having been signed. It was a petition that was nominated by the Jockey Club Chief Executive Nevin Truesdale with cross-industry support initially. Uh, Should we be excited, optimistic about this, or are we just going through the motions? I think the cynics are out, as usual. There's a lot of cynics in this game, isn't there? They said that the petition would never get to 100,000. Oh, look, it's stalled at 5,000 or something. Um, You know, 0.2% of petitions get there, I think, in the last year. Uh, It's about 0.5% over the last five years. It's been a, a pretty impressive, I thought, um, show from horse racing to get it there. Uh, and yes, it might be that the, the debate itself is slightly boring and most of the people that speak, we've heard them all before and we know they're entrenched positions. Uh, but what we need to do is get MPs who, who aren't really committed one way or the other to get involved and realise that this is a, a subject that people are interested in and people have strong views on. Uh, I think if you've got... Um, a Tory MP, uh, that's a good person to write to generally because uh, the Tories are supposed to be a party of uh, libertarians and, you know, they would want smaller government and feel that the government shouldn't be interfering in people's lives and civil liberties are important. Uh, but they're probably not, you know, realistically, looking at the betting, they're probably not going to be around much longer. There's going to be an election this year, they're probably going to lose it. Um, so if you've got a Labour MP, they've probably got more power. Uh, loads of Labour backbenchers probably don't really have much of a view about the Gambling Act. The uh, Labour politicians tend tend to be in uh, more urban areas where there aren't horse racing stables uh, or not training centres. So, um, you know, they're unlikely to be swayed by those arguments. And generally speaking, they'll probably think, well, there's too many betting shops in my high street and people sometimes come to my surgery and complain about how they've lost all their money gambling. Uh, either that or they just have no view whatsoever and can't see how it's a good thing. Uh, it's worth it's worth trying to contact those people, write to your MP, tell them you'd like the, the him or her to attend the debate uh, and, uh, you know, put some of the arguments forward. I, I think civil liberties is probably the best one to go with and just say in no other form of spending uh, are we are we being, uh, you know, asked to provide the kind of information you'd need to provide Uh, to get a mortgage. All right, Rishi, I want to talk to you a little bit about the celebrity effect. And I'm not talking about simply your effect as being a regular (laughs) guest on on this podcast. Um, It it was noted yesterday the impact uh, any intervention Taylor Swift might have on the American election. And it was considered to to be huge. I don't know why we should be surprised because celebrities have been trying to influence the results of public polls for years but uh, the effect of the effect of celebrity on our little world we had the influencer alex earl that's alex a l i x earl at the pegasus world cup in florida who caught an awful lot of people's eye when she performed riders up on on nbc uh, matt damon has been involved in in running a horse in in australia uh, a small time meet in in randwick uh, Tom Brady has teamed up with Nick Luck Daily Podcast guest Mike Rapoli in a mm-hmm. in a new business venture, and they met at the Kentucky Derby. So, some big stars of screen 
the field of play and the world of Ooh. influencing are all brushing with uh, with horse racing. Um, the power of celebrity will often be sneered at by some in the sport, but it can be um, extremely meaningful. Uh, give me your take on some of the debate that's uh, particularly surrounded the appearance of Alex Earl, a big-time influencer uh, whose posts from the Pegasus got a reach of over six million. Well, uh, just to boil it down very briefly, because obviously this can go on, a conversation like this can go on uh, for, for ages. But to boil it down briefly, it's the facts and then the opinions. The facts are that Alex Earl has, what is it, six and a half million followers? So she has access to a lot of people instantly through her social media. And having her tweeting, uh, Instagram, whatever the platform is, to her followers, a race day, a high-profile race day, will give racing the opportunity to be in front of the eyes of six and a half million followers. That's that's a fact, and that's quite a, a positive for the sport. The opinions come from when people feel think in the sport that there's no congruence, would be the right word, um, or there's less congruence behind bringing a celebrity in to promote a race day when it feels a forced um uh action where the person who comes in is being paid and therefore it doesn't feel that they've bought into what they're about to sell um and that feels to some people which i can understand um it feels to some people that it's it's cheapened the the action um i i think that if you can get celebrities who are genuinely interested in the sport and they're happy to promote it, you know, to a lesser degree in the UK, we've seen it happen. You know, someone like Chris Hughes, who has got a huge following uh, relatively on social media, has a genuine interest in racing. I think someone like him is good for the sport. Um, but, you know, when you go to whether, whoever the celebrity is and they don't have that interest, it makes it hard to buy into what they're saying. I feel um, maybe I'm wrong. Um, but, but isn't that that it makes it it makes it hard for us to identify with it because we're not seeing their interest as as authentic as as ours or as as what we would call dyed in the wool racing fans. But isn't the whole point that it it doesn't really matter if the the sport's getting a, such a huge reach? Well. I thought the point of getting these people to do what they're doing isn't just to get eyeballs. You want people to want to come racing. You want people to want to have an interest in racing in the long term. But if you're if and, you're putting on an event, follow. if you're putting on an event that is sufficiently engaging, and this yeah. is the crux of it, isn't it? You, what yeah. you've then got to have after you've you know shown people the front door, you've got to have something interesting inside. I mean, well, exactly. that, that is the key, isn't it? Doesn't it behove? Yeah then to put on a decent event an entertaining event a big spectacle and top quality sport once you've had your influencer reaching six and a half million people or 30 million people or however many people saying come racing yeah but wouldn't it be much easier to sell it to everybody if that influencer was you'd already convinced that influencer that this sport is good as opposed to that influence turned up on well, the day and it's doing their thing because they're getting paid. And here's the thing. If you give them a good enough experience, then who knows? You might find exactly. they keep coming back year on year on year. And that's why that's why the interest of, you know, I, I think I mentioned it to you yesterday, the likes of Brooks Kapka and Graham McDowell who are into the racing and actually show an interest in the racing. 
um, you know, Brooks Koepka is a, a pretty big sports star around the world, and he's actually got an interest in, in racing. He's got a horse that he owns, and he's he's mentioned it. You know, he he sounds genuine about it. That carries that carries quite a a, a significant weight uh, to it. Not, I'm not saying it's going to have six and a half million eyeballs on it, but it carries more authenticity and and more congruence to the project of, you know people following the sport go oh my goodness brooks Kepler actually is interested in it um and he he likes horse racing he's cool that's cool but yeah I, I, whether 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 that's going to have a long-term impact on the sport i'm not sure um we've seen people try celebrities before and it not be entirely successful all over the world uh, including here in the uk um but sometimes when they when they're genuine i think it can work all right. Well, the fire has died down, as it tends to do quite quickly when there's a debate in horse racing these days. But the embers of the debate as to which race Lossy Mouth should run in at the Cheltenham Festival are still glowing and probably will continue to do so for a little while. I've managed to track down Lossy Mouth's breeder. Uh, Ian Kellett has been breeding in France for a little while and he has produced Lossy Mouth um, in partnership out of a mare who herself is a half-sister to the very, very talented Group 1 willing miler, uh, Lord Glitters, who acquitted himself extremely well all around the globe. It's a good story, um, and Ian has been telling me how he came to start breeding horses uh, across the channel. Uh, well, Nick, I, um, I came to work in France and... <laughs> 1989 um, and always been interested in horses and uh, <laughs> talked to a couple of friends in the UK and we realised that uh, France offered a lot more opportunity in terms of uh, let's say a return on your investment so um, got started then I met up with Nicola Madame as my continuing partner in 1995 and um it just grew from that, really. Uh, probably got more interest in the breeding when I retired, which was some um, 15 years ago. Uh, Mariners Light would be, oh, I don't know, something like my seventh or eighth, tenth, perhaps, mayor. I think Nicola must have had her in training with uh, jointly with Yannick Fuen, and um, there's always been a Yannick connection. And Yannick didn't want to breed from her, so I, I, I took her when she uh, when she stopped racing. Um, we uh, and we had we had a, a couple of little successes, but not very much. I mean, Lossy Mouse has been the uh, the first real one. Uh, Springcroft, her first her first produce, is, is quite an interesting horse. But um, yeah, so then Lossy Mouse came about, and um, fortunately for us, it was uh, we tried to sell her in 2020, the COVID year, and um, we bought her in for 14,000 euros. So wow, that was quite a. <laughs> Somewhat fortuitous. Result in retrospect. Uh, ab absolutely. But, but fortune favours the brave and the brave enough to do this and the brave enough to hang on and have faith in your in your stock as well. What I'm fascinated in and what a lot of people will be fascinated in is why you chose to go down the national hunt route with a mare who was a, a half-sister to a group one willing miler and a, and a very good one at that. Yes, well, when we started off, we didn't know that it, uh, anything about Lord Glitters. I mean, Lord Glitters appeared on the on the sheet after we'd already been uh, going down the national hunt route. Um, uh, we, we we are breeders of national hunt horses. We've had a, a little bit of success in the past, but nothing like this. So uh, it was always going to be a national hunt route. And as I say, the, the Lord Glitters um, enhanced Mariner's Light's uh, uh, page, but 
long after we'd uh, we were we were already uh, breeding breeding from her. You were already committed by then, come what may. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, it was uh, she. She. Uh, yeah. What is it about breeding horses that gives you particular satisfaction, Ian, and that has kept you doing it to the point where you've got a result like this? Well, I don't know where to start, really. I mean, it, it, it's just an immense pride, you know, when you see uh, from from the, from the from sitting together around a, around, a, around a, a fireside in, you know, sort of January of one year to deciding which stallion to go to and then the, the next year the produce and then there's watching it all, all the way through. And, um, and the wonderful thing about France, I mean, obviously it's a great pleasure to, to watch, but the wonderful thing about France, of course, they give the, the, the breeders premium so that you have a, you know, a financial interest in, in, in the horse for life, whether you own it or you don't, which is, uh, which is obviously uh, acts as a good sort of stimulant anyway. So the news that uh, I, I brought yesterday that, that the the target for Lossy Mouth could well be the, the French champion hurdle, I'm guessing, is music to your ears. Well, yes, except that that's over quite a long distance. I'm not sure if that'll work out or not. But anyway, we, we, we can see. Yeah, but yes, we, we, but, well, we, we do get a, a preview when she runs over uh, overseas, but that, 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 that's capped. Mm. But... Um, but you yes, forget it wherever she runs, to be honest. But uh, you get more if she runs in France. But but uh, yeah. But uh, can I can I ask you can I ask you the invidious question then about where you would run her if she was still yours at the Sheldon Festival? <laughs> well, I think that, I think it's um, if if the Wears hurdle was uh, was over the same distance, I think it would be a no brainer given her age and everything. I, I, my, my the doubt for me is is just the the extra distance. Um, but I can see how it. I think it's not a very easy, uh, easy one to answer. When we've heard what uh, what the owner says, um, I don't know what Mister Mullins has to say. <laughs> but, but we may find out eventually. I guess we wait on that. And just in terms of your of your of your overall production record, where does this rate? Is this is this a clear high point? Oh yes, we have. Uh, I've bred uh, a couple of listed winners. I had a Group Three winner in, in France, I, I, and, that, and that's that's racing for you. I mean, two two months after we sold um, Lossy Mouth, uh, after her first run at Otoy, um, we discovered uh, our Group Three winner, our best mare, uh, died overnight of colic. So you know, you got the highs and the lows in this game are just well, you know what they are. You see them every day, so it's. <laughs> You know, you've got to uh, fasten the seatbelt sometimes. Lovely to track down Ian Kellett. Uh, and we look forward to hearing from him more as the season progresses about Lossy Mouth as we head now to Hong Kong and J.A. McGrath. Nick, most form judges are still digesting the shock result to the Centenary Sprint Cup at Sha Tin on Sunday. Lucky Swainess, only recently crowned the world's best sprinter, failed to get a place finishing well beaten after being slow to muster speed early, then running into dead ends and never really being able to get a crack at the first three, which included the winner, Victor the winner. For the record, Lucky Swainess pulled up lame in his right front leg, according to the stewards' report, so best to put a line through that run and to give him another chance. But the defeat of a 1.3 favourite that's 130 on in old money, was indeed a shock. This Sunday, it's the first leg of the four-year-old's triple crown, the classic mile at Sha Tin. The highly credentialed Halios Express is a major contender, while David Hayes is considering backing up Star Mac 
who caught the eye with a good third in handicap company last weekend. Today, nine races at Happy Valley, a welcome return to the city track, and two good things on the card. They're in the final two races. Race 8, number 7, Beauty Waves, for Douglas White and Zach Purton. Uh, Zach's back on board this one. Beauty Waves is a, a horse who's really going places, and this is a big chance for him to break the ice. Uh, Danger number two, Brave Star, and also number four, Armour Eagle. So in race eight, take multiples seven into four and two in that uh, eighth event on the card. Race nine, another good thing here, number eight, Simply Maverick, who's a horse with abundant uh, an abundance of ability and is really starting to put it together now. Ricky Yu, the trainer, and Andrea Atzini, who's going great guns at the moment. He's in the saddle. So number eight, Simply Maverick, to beat number 10, Thesis, who you'll remember won the Britannia for the Charltons a couple of seasons ago and now appears to be nearing a win. Now, one other horse that I should comment on is in race five, number two, Noble Pursuit. This is a horse trained by Casper Founds, a four-year-old, Hugh Bowman in the saddle, and a horse that's very well regarded by the Founds stable, uh, a New Zealander, a horse who uh, a couple of starts ago turned in an almost unbelievable performance coming from well back in the ruck to get up and win in the style of a horse with plenty of upside. So I think that first up, after a couple of months, he's been off for a while, uh, he can go in. So race five, number two, noble pursuit to win for Hugh Bowman and for Casper Founds and to beat number eight, Turin Warrior. That's all on the Hong Kong beat this week. I'll have more for you next week. All right, thanks to all my guests today. Rishi's still with me and he's got something for you for this afternoon. I'm going to go for Anderleep in the seven o'clock this evening, Nick. Um, who bolted up last time. Uh, it was his first all-weather win. He's got a four-pound penalty. Uh, he's got quite a lot of weight to carry, but I looked at the opposition, and I think he can brush them aside. He's actually got running off a lower mark than he's won on, on the on the turf, so I think he's got a cracking chance of following up. He did bolt up, so I expect him to do it again today. All right, Rich, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Wednesday, January the 31st. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.